So welcome to Pints and Politics. Joining me tonight for this online discussion are three regular members of our politics panel. First of all, a Curved Lake First Nation Councillor and Ontario NDP Indigenous Peoples Committee Chair, Sean Conway. Then campaign manager and consultant, Lauren Hunter, and editor and podcaster, Donald Fraser. Welcome all and thank you. Uh, now, last night, the panel started off with brief observations, key moments, of the throne speech, and now with the advantage of 24 hours, we can include events of today. So, throne speech, what, what is standing out and what's significant? So, uh, this is Lauren, and I'll start off and say that I really appreciated the focus uh, in the throne speech on women and the recovery of women, specifically when it comes to our economic recovery. And I appreciate the fact that the term she session uh, which is a recession that has primarily affected women, uh, was yes. actually mentioned right in the throne speech, was uh, sort of exciting to hear that acknowledge that that's what's happened. Um, and I think the fact that it talked directly to tr trying to make sure that the measures we implement now uh, don't allow for the rolling back of the political and social and economic gains that women have made in the economy and in the country over the last 50 years, uh, making that a priority is really important. And I was pleased to see childcare, like a commitment to a national childcare program. Uh, we have briefly had one in this country previously, uh, and I think it's well past time that we try to take another kick at that can. And I think that that is really key to our economic recovery is making sure that we don't lose uh, a, a huge section of uh, our economic uh, of our economy through women's uh, lack of participation in the workforce. Unlike our neighbors to the south, Sean. Yeah, I think exactly, exactly that. You know, opposition parties, particularly NDP, have been calling for a, for a focus on a national childcare strategy. You know, jurisdiction be damned, as as well as uh, different various economic supports uh, to continue uh, for the government. And I think we saw those signaled in the throne speech um, and absolutely right for Lauren to focus in on the impact that this pandemic has had to the status of women in this country in the uh, lack of childcare spaces. So I think now is the time for that to, to pull forward. Yeah, better late than never. Okay, uh, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, Donald here. Uh, two weeks ago on, on this panel, I said that I thought the throne speech was was going to be a wartime speech, focusing on on the the, the issue at hand, which is the pandemic. And for the most part, it, it was. I, I would have liked to see some some broader strokes with more innovative ideas during that conversation. Actually, last week when we were we were chatting, uh, Lauren pointed out that that we are in need of deep systemic change, and I I don't see the speech from the throne even hinting at that kind of change. What I do see is, is I see the number 2050 attached to, to climate change and, and to uh, getting ourselves down to net zero. I'm scared of any climate change policy that includes the year 2050 uh, as a means of, of getting to your end goal. So I, I would have liked to seen some some more imaginative things. I would have liked to, the entertaining uh, of the thought of um, of a basic income. I, I think that 
we are right that we need to be looking at childcare. Uh, we uh, we need to be looking at women in the economy because there have been major setbacks to how we're working as a society as the pandemic has knocked people out of the workforce. And it's done so in a way that, that is really unfair. Yes, yes. Time marches on. All right. Now, Lauren. Can I, I'll just add one more thing. I, I don't disagree, Donald. Uh, I know there was a commitment to exceed uh, we were planning to do by 2030, um, but I do agree that uh, I'd like to see some more, um, some some speedier action on climate change. Uh, one thing that was in the throne speech that hasn't been getting too much attention was a commitment to end homelessness. Yes. So not a target, not 50% by this date, not whatever, but end homelessness in Canada. And I actually think that there are countries that are proving that that is absolutely possible if we put in the right kind of supports in the right places. And so I think that has some of the other want to make into housing. Sean, go ahead. I, I would I would suggest every Liberal MP to support uh, MP Gazan's Motion 46 to establish a uh, a universal basic income in Canada. Um, and, well, and and one thing that I, I, I did like, uh, and, and I'm going to be interested to see how deep and how far they're going to go with this, is that there was a there was a pledge to uh, to tax the extremely wealthy um, and to uh, address extreme wealth inequality in order to aid our 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 aid our COVID fight. All right, uh, let's let's shift to the U.S. scene. And of course, since planning this last week, uh, or a few weeks ago, passing of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, is, of course, has put yet another layer on the election debate. Uh, it's a huge loss. I mean, Lauren, you spoke to positioning of women's issues in the throne speech. I mean, Ginsburg's role in the states, we all know, uh, Roe versus Wade, etc. But are there any... Uh, any impressions of here we are now what what will be the impact of this issue and her replacement on the election uh, again and i'll just i recognize tonight i'm on a an all-male uh panel and myself and i know your other guests uh there was a bit more uh diversity but uh so you may not have felt it but it was like my ovaries shuddered uh, at that very moment uh, that she passed away, and we saw this potential slipping of some of those um, fundamental reproductive rights in the United States become a very real prospect. Um, but as your other panelists talked about, I think that's a, a sort of secondary in some ways. I can't believe to say that I'm saying that, but I think the, the bigger issue is if Trump does not go willingly, if he does in fact lose the election and he refuses to hand over power as he has been talking about this week, sort of wink nudging at the court um, as being the place that he might go to help solidify uh, his power. And so he's basically trying to co-opt his nominee, whoever that will be, to the court. And so we're talking about the very fundamental essence of the American democracy is at yes. stake in this election. I mean, I think it was in so many ways before now, but it's just been so sharpened by the loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the balance tipping on the court. Yes. Uh, and maybe with that as an intro, let's go right to the meat closest to the bone here. 
year, all of the speculation and indeed now all of the really substantial journalism that's coming out. I, I posted several articles today uh, on our little group Facebook site about uh, the prospects of the election being stolen and all the ways it could. What are you hearing? What are you reading about this? I mean, what is the likelihood? Sean? Well, really, the election is going to be called into question if Biden doesn't win by 10 percent and Donald Trump will very likely hold on to power through either, you know, right wing militia or stacking the Supreme Court, lower courts uh, or putting it to the Senate during the lame duck. You never know, like it could be any number one of any situation. So really, Biden needs a slam dunk. Biden needs to deliver Florida, uh, the Rust Belt, Colorado, and apparently, what is it, uh, Massachusetts Second District? Is that what we were talking about yesterday? Yes, yes. Donald, um, it is interesting that that the Senate, led by by Mitch McConnell, has has said that they're sticking to the fact that the winner of the November 3rd election will be inaugurated on January 20th. They passed a resolution. How much you, you want to read into that and trust that, I don't know. Uh, but the, the, the mechanism, the, the Senate, uh, is at least coming forward and making a statement on it. Now, uh, Lauren, go ahead. And I, I don't think I'd trust Mitch McConnell as far as I could throw up. Uh, at this point in time, nor any of the other Republicans who voted unanimously for that resolution that Donald was talking about. But I think it was in one of the pieces I've read recently. I'm not sure if it was yours, Bill, but uh, starting to uh, organizations starting to prepare people for the thought of it. First of all, it not being an election day, but being an election month. Um, by the time the mail-in ballots come in and those are counted and trying to sort of get people to wrap their heads around the fact that this will not be quick and done with uh, and trying to prepare people for the very real possibility that there will be a power struggle of some kind, regardless of where uh, where people land on Election Day. I think, too, uh, beyond sure. just another thing to add to what Lauren's talking about is that people need to be prepared for if Donald Trump legitimately wins the election, which is a, which is a possibility. Oh, of course. Um, it, it's oh, yeah. I, I was being generous in talking about the, the Senate passing that, that motion and not fully trusting it. The flip side of that, the, the more negative side of that, is that Trump's attack on voting by mail. He's, he's trying to yes. insist that, that ballots after November 3rd should not be valid, and, and and at the same time, of course, um, there's attack on the on the U.S. postal system. There are ballots that are sitting there that are that are still not going out. You know, big bundles of ballots that are that are not going out. They're slowing down the system, ensuring that ballots are not going out, making sure that once ballots are there, they're not coming in in a timely manner, and and moving towards being moving towards saying no, 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 November third, that's it. No votes after that, and and that that's going to wipe out a huge segment of the voting populace, and I think it's going to hit Democrats. Um, yes. The Democrats and and the more liberal members of our society are the ones who are a bit more fearful of COVID and who are less likely to go into public places, who are more likely to use mail-in ballots. Uh, so this is really a direct attack on democracy, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. This could happen quicker than, than we anticipate if Trump is successful in, in mandating a November 3rd hard count. Right. Now, of course, all this boils down to what citizens do 
and of course, life on the streets. Now, I mentioned last week, I have a friend who lives in Portland. Uh, he's Canadian, his wife's Canadian. They are uh, there for work reasons, professional reasons. And uh, he emailed uh, a group of friends uh, today with the account that there is a rally planned Saturday night in Portland by the Proud Boys and the uh, Patriot Prayer people and the BLM and Black Lives Matter and uh, and others are planning a, a peaceful counter-demonstration. And so the mayor of Portland, who uh, is a Democrat, of course, and has uh, suffered a bit of verbal abuse from uh, uh, Trump, uh, has done his best to disinvite uh, the proud, the proud boys and the patriot prayer, prayer people from showing up, saying you know you're not welcome. We don't you know, this sort of thing is not part of our culture here in Portland. And my friend is stuck. I mean, he could get out of Portland, but it, it puts a very personal tone on it when someone you know, other than fleeing the city, is in somewhat of a dicey position. And uh, to your to your point, Sean, you know, to get used to the idea that a Trump may win, or B, it may be close enough that, well, uh, all sorts of civil unrest will break out. And what will be the response? What is the role of people with various leanings? Uh, I asked and was told that uh, Oregon, where my friend lives, is an open carry state. So the, the Proud Boys who will be showing up Saturday night will you know, have their AR-15 slung over their shoulders legally. That, uh, I, I guess when it happens personally, it it happens at another level. Lauren, yes. I, I just wanted to emphasize with you, I have a very good friend who's living in California. Um, and she, she's a Canadian. Her husband now is American. But unfortunately, just at the start of the pandemic, she misplaced her Canadian passport. So she's basically been stuck there um, because embassies were closed and wasn't able to apply for a, a new passport and claim that it was lost and all that frou So we spoke recently and, and she's just been able to get the paperwork through to uh, to get a new passport. But absolutely, Bill, it, it, it really hits home when it's uh, someone that you know and when they're stuck. And for her in California, where they are, you know, it's not just the unrest around the election. It's not just um, some of the protests that have happened, but there's also, you know, they have their bags packed and they're ready to evacuate at a moment's notice because the fires have been so close to where they're living. Of course. Layers and layers and layers. And it's been really, really tough for her and for her family. Uh, now, one thing we touched on last night, and it certainly can, can bear uh, a reinvestigation, is the whole theme of what I'm calling here in my notes, dirty tricks. Uh, there's the social media bots, the fake news stories, the gerrymandering, the voter suppression, the suppression of mail. Well, we, mail, uh, we, we talked about that and then the crippling of the U.S. Postal Service. What else is going on? And and how is this going on in supposedly, uh, you know, the, the, the strongest democracy in the free world? Well, maybe I'll just quickly reiterate what I talked about in the panel last night is that the, that's not new. You know, it's not it's not because of Donald Trump, the, the voter suppression and, you know, the, the lack of hearing rights in the United States. It's it's yeah. um, it's by design. And it's what the, the ruling class of both the Democrats and Republicans want to subjugate black, brown, indigenous and people of color, taking away people's rights to vote. And that's a, they've done it on purpose. 
They don't care, and it probably won't change if Biden is elected. Ugh, so I, I have to agree with Sean, and I think for me, you know, some of these conversations, in particular about gerrymandering and, and how they cut up districts and and this sort of piece, which is so foreign to us in Canada. Thank goodness that's not, for the most part, uh, how we uh, uh, decide where electoral districts fall. But it just reveals how fragile all of these systems have been that they've just been hanging on a thread this whole time and we're experiencing sort of all the tipping points at the same time uh, but democracy is fragile and if we don't actively work to protect it day in and day out these sorts of these sorts of situations can happen yes i mean as someone said democracy is is a noun it's also a verb yes donald well, well let me i'm going to go kind of full circle on this one because we were just talking about portland um and we were talking about civil unrest and we were talking about the, the quashing of democracy and we have just this week the the justice department labeling portland uh, New York, Seattle, yes, as, yes, as anarchy jurisdictions, essentially saying we, we want your cops in there quashing any type of protest or else you're going to lose federal funding. And this is astonishing. This is basically yeah. pick, picking hot zones and saying use, use force or else. And, and yeah, I mean, the, the impact this has on democracy, the, the impact this has on civil rights, the, the impact this has on our ability to, to voice what we think is right is is huge and it's a, a further indication of the state of the united states of america right now which is which is is not only at the slippery slope it's sliding fast now i i have to ask in parentheses donald you raised the thought uh, brianna taylor that decision came down how did that happen it's astonishing uh, a, a woman at home alone in her home, the police break in, they shoot her, and everyone's acquitted. And the astonishing thing is that the charges against the the cop who was pulling the trigger wasn't even about the shooting of this black woman. It was putting society in danger by, you know, wayward bullets or or an ill-advised use of a gun. And so it's basically ignoring the murder that took place in cold blood. Now, I, I don't know the detail. What did, what provoked that other than she was black? They picked, they got the wrong house. Wrong address. Yes, I heard that. And, and so they went and shot her in her bed. Uh, a no-knock entry, right, where they just barge in and they were supposedly looking for her partner. Maybe there was a drug charge, I think. And some of these things have been um, manufactured after the fact to justify them even entering the apartment in the first place. But yes, went in without knocking and, and shot her while she slept. And I think I just come back to what Sean, Well, yes. And I just come back to what Sean said earlier in terms of oh, sure. the ruling classes. You, you know, none of this has happened overnight. Uh, a long-term strategy uh, right. to, you know, look at the, the sorts of education that cops need in the U.S., even versus Canada, um, the decisions made about who gets hired where and when and, and these sorts of things like a no-knock warrant. I mean, that is so hard to believe that something like that exists coming from Canada, but um, that this is not a new thing. Oh, all right. So now social media, social media bots, the fake news stories, we're learning more about Russian involvement. What else is going on on that? Has anyone else been picking up? Well, it's not just Russia. It's American companies. It's China. 
It's India. It's Canada. The United States is such a fragile place with absolutely nothing in place for cybersecurity. The the investments in public education are 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 you know wishes and dust. And there is no way to combat that again by design. The country is being ripped apart by uh, not only you know foreign actors, but but also from within. It's a completely failed state at this point. And we can take, even if we ignore no, the, the foreign involvement, uh, just take a look at at Donald Trump and his use of Twitter uh, and what this means to politics. So we've got the president with unfettered access, who's been campaigning on Twitter since he was elected and coming out with bald-faced lie after bald-faced lie. We forget about the lie that happened because he follows it up with a lie completely right afterwards. You, you can't defend against it because by the time you're fighting him on something, he's moved to a different lie. We we see conservatives in, in Canada and particularly in the United States talking about fake news, about how the elite liberals run the media. But we have uh, we have Donald Trump on Twitter and, you know, that's it's insane what he's allowed to get away with. And that's not that's not foreign foreign interference. That's just the American political system allowing batshit uh, craziness to to go on. And I think, too, it's sure. I think this has also shown that the, the social media companies either can't or in the case of Facebook won't aren't interested in keeping up with the fake news and trying to combat that you know there there are now some some tweets and they will label them as this being questionable information or whatnot but it, it just it's so lost in the noise uh, and it's such a never-ending stream of lies from Donald Trump directly and or his associates uh, and surrogates that it's it seems like it's a, a runaway train and uh, and I mean Facebook has become you can they've been publishing recently sort of uh, you know the stories that are traveling the fastest across Facebook and it has basically become the Fox News of social media uh, and you know there are a lot of people in the U.S. and in Canada who get their news from Facebook or from Twitter and that's a, a pretty concerning thing and yes. We have to take a look at how this affects us psychologically and how we're pulled into these things as well. We know the algorithms that social media are using are are meant to push our buttons. They're meant to they're meant to antagonize us, piss us off, get us vocal, get us sharing, get us pumping that information out there, and continually jumping in there. Um, it's a combination of, of dopamine, you know, that reward for every time you flex your social media muscles it's it's because they caused rage inside you by just hitting those buttons with these stories that are are written in ways that are meant to to inflame um and so it gets people going back for more for more and for more uh it's it's how we end up losing sight of things like policy um yes. so we we end up getting down into the weeds with either um either name calling or mm-hmm. Uh, manufactured crises or scandals that are, are, are right. not really what we need to be looking at. And we, we've lost touch of the actual politics and the actual issues that are at hand. I think if you ask most Americans right now what the issues are in American politics, the most of them probably don't have a firm answer. Yeah. yeah. Now, a last question to go out on, and of course it could involve uh, 
a four-hour answer. What signs should everyone be looking for as this this process that the three of you have described continues to percolate to election day and then after election day? What what are the both the red flags and, and maybe the green flags? Hopefully. We should be alert to. So, you know, I think probably the most obvious outcome is Donald Trump gets a conservative justice between now and January. There's a very good chance that Joe Biden will become president, and that would be good. Now, down ballot, if they win the Senate, they need to abolish the filibuster and they need to pack the Supreme Court, expand it to 15 seats. And they need to pack every lower court with Democrats. Right. You mentioned that. Yeah. If they're going to be in that situation, it's the only thing they can do responsibly to at least uh, keep keep the experiment going for another 10, 15 years. Wow. Other things we should be watching for. Lauren. I won't. I'm not going to answer it directly in terms of red flag uh, or green flag, but I'll say something that I'm concerned about and I've been reading a bit more about in terms of an unknown is the Biden campaign's lack of door knocking uh, and on the ground voter registration and some of that work. And in particular, I was reading a story today about uh, the complete lack of presence that they have in Florida and how the Republicans have started to brag about closing the gap. With yes, a lot. Democrats. Someone was saying that. The, yeah, in terms of voter right. registration and, and uh, voter registration, uh, is, is a key indicator in terms of turnout. And so it, this is a big experiment. Uh, and someone who's very invested in the ground game uh, in, in the elections that I've taken part in, I, I really concerns me. And we don't know how that's going to turn out if they're able to make the kind of gains they need to through digital, through mail, through some of the other ways that you might connect with voters. Uh, and we're only going to find out the results of this giant experiment after Election Day. Well, this giant experiment, maybe on that note, uh, we'll sign off here. Uh, so, uh, Sean, Donald, and Lauren, thank you so much for joining me uh, for this panel discussion. You've been listening to Pints in Politics. We're a weekly uh, show on uh, Trent Radio uh, coming to you through CFFF 92.7 FM. And uh, this has been our 31st program of the year. We post on Twitter at Bill Temp and on our Facebook page, Pints in Politics podcast. Uh, so until next week, this is Bill Templeman.